You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, It's almost unbelievable that you, as Jesus, would call us brother and sister. Uh, As a flawed person with a oftentimes um, chaotic, dysfunctional, jacked up family tree, uh, I'm not always even inclined to to claim some of my step-siblings as brother or sister. And yet I, as your enemy, you call me brother. So just thank you. Will you be with us this morning as we glean wisdom from your word? Most importantly, will you work in our hearts to long for the love that you long to give to us? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So to to help me prepare for this sermon, uh, I went back and listened to Adam Breckenridge preach on the church as family back. It was just like two months before COVID hit and shut down everything, uh, which I asked Jared uh, when I went back to this. I was like, what do you like? Can you imagine if you had known when you were preaching this ex- almost exact same series three years ago, like that the world was about to shut down? It's just always wild to think about that. But as I heard him uh, open his message, he began to tell a story. If you don't know Adam, Adam was a elder here for six years and Moved away last summer to go to Conway to be closer to some family there. But um, he and his family have some of the most hilarious stories in the world because they are the definition of chaos. Uh, Jared, or sorry, Adam uh, in and himself is the definition of shenanigans, in my opinion. Uh, and so he's just getting everything he deserves back from his three daughters who are just a lot. They're a lot of energy, okay? And so... He told the story about how he had an HVAC guy at his house and his girls were going crazy. They're running around the house naked and all this stuff. And it was wild and everyone laughed. And if you want to hear the story, you can go back and listen to it yourself. But I just want to say, I've been the HVAC guy in the Breckenridge household before. Uh, Not actually HVAC, but the awkward adult man who's like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Um... (laughs) I'm uncomfortable right now. So when they were moving away, we, we lived in Kansas City. They lived in Kansas City. When they moved back to Paragould, uh, we went over to their house for a, like a farewell dinner. And we're, it was fun. It was chaos, but it was funny. And we were having a good time. And we're at the dinner table eating. And his oldest goes to the bathroom. And it's like right, I mean, it's like right there. Like that door right there. And the door's wide open while she's using the bathroom. And she yells, Mr. Chris, you want to come look at my poop? <laughs> And I was like, no, no, I certainly don't. And I'm pretty sure I don't want to eat any more food. Like, I don't know where you draw the lines of family, but like my line was further up than your line was. So I've been 
the awkwardly feeling HVAC guy in the Breckenridge household. But this morning, uh, we're continuing our, our little series on missional communities and, and what these means and what it means to be a part of a missional community. And we say that missional communities, our mission there is to practice the way of Jesus together in Northeast Arkansas. And this is because we see the vision that we want, that we see God through the Lord's Prayer is to see God's kingdom come and His will be done here. Not just in the Middle East, not just where he said those words, but across the world, we want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done here as it is in heaven. And we just believe that the way, one of the ways we believe for us that this is going to happen best is through the context of a missional community. And so we practice the way of Jesus together in Northeast Arkansas. So practicing the way of Jesus is because we're disciples. We're learning from Jesus. We're we're hearing from Jesus. And, and Luke did an excellent job last week focusing in on one aspect of what it means to be a disciple, which is simply to be with Jesus. You can't become like Jesus if you've never been with Jesus, and you can't do what he did if you haven't been with Jesus. You need to, if that's the only thing you do over the next 12 months is just be with Jesus, that's enough because the rest will fall into place. Next week, we're going to have Daniel come up, and he'll be uh, preaching for the first time here at our church. And he's going to talk about how we do this in Northeast Arkansas because we're missionaries. Every single one of us as believers are called to live missionally, reactively, proactively in our society. And today, we're talking about how all of that works together, together, because we're family. So in the the text that we read before you today, you have this very peculiar reply by Jesus when someone says, hey, your mom wants you. Can you imagine being that messenger who goes in and says that? And then Jesus says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? This is my mother and my brother. And the messenger's like, okay, cool. So you want me to tell her that? Like, I don't know. I don't know what happened after he says this, but like, can you imagine that scenario? F.F. Bruce, who's a Bible scholar, says that this is one of the most controversial things that Jesus said. Because in that society, family is everything. We've kind of moved away from that over the last, especially over the last like hundred years, where family has not become as important. We've become much more individualized. The American dream is about my dream, not even my family's American dream. I'm not here to contribute even towards that, it's about my American dream. We've become a very individualized society, and that's even infiltrated itself here in the church, where my faith is a very individualized thing. And there's good aspects of that. You need to have a personal relationship. You need to have personal responsibility. But we can't do that to the throwing away of family. And Jesus has redefined and inaugurated this new family, the discipleship to him is family. It's not even just a metaphor for family. It is family. So for some of us, that's, that's great news because we live in a dysfunctional family. And if we could trade families, we would in a heartbeat, right? For some of us, it's not even funny to talk about that because to imagine family at all, because your family was so dysfunctional and even abusive, you don't want to take part in family. And so if that's your story, like, I'm, I'm sorry for what you've gone through in your family. But Jesus, what he's given us here is something better. And, and the fact that you can even point to your family and say that, then there's something wrong here, and I don't want to be a part of that, shows that you're even hardwired for something better, something truer, something perfect. 
Now, this here, this body is not perfect. This family is not perfect. But we're practicing the way of Jesus together. Because one day, we'll spend an eternity with Him together. Um, this week, our staff and elders were, were on a, a, a retreat together. And we're talking about a lot of different things and discussing and sometimes debating different things. And it, it was a, a blessing. It was a, a really, really fun time. But at one point, I can't even remember how we got to this point. I think it had something to do with serving uh, in the church, volunteering in the church. And one of the, the women there, uh, she's just kind of like, she's usually kind of a more timid, held back kind of person. And she's not going to stand up and talk. But the, boy, she got fired up about one thing, that this family like redefined family for her. Like this family is vital for her life. And not just because of what it gives her, but because of how she sees how it contributes to her kids' discipleship to Jesus as well. And like this was not just a metaphor for her. This family is her family. And we see in Galatians chapter 4, we're not going to turn there, but Paul, when he's talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, he likens it to being adopted by Jesus. You, you were once an orphan. I know maybe not biologically you're an orphan, but without being in the family of God, you were all born orphans until you're adopted into the family of God. And the, the, the really fun thing about like that context when he's writing that is that even an adult person could be adopted into a family. Like we see adoptions here and it's like never over the age of 18 usually, right? Like that's, that's adoptions happen for kids. But even in that society, like an adult could be adopted into a family. And when that happened, the adoptive father would pay all of the debts of that adopted child. And that's a beautiful, that's what people are hearing when they hear Paul say that you're adopted. You don't have to have a spirit of an orphan, but a spirit of adoption in the family of God. So you can feel that. You don't have to feel the fear that an orphan feels. You don't have to feel the loneliness that an orphan feels. You can feel safe and belonging here in the family of God. So this morning, we're going to see what it means to be a part of this family. And as we do, I want us to focus our time on how this family is a place where you can be known, you can be loved, and you can belong. So that's what we're going to walk through. If you're a note taker, that, that's what we're doing. Um, if you have the uh, version Bible app, uh, I would recommend getting that today. In On the Connect card is actually some instructions how to get to our notes um, every single week. You can look at those notes and see what we've written out there because today we're going to jump around a lot. So if you're a Bible drill person, today's your dream. We're going to be jumping around to a bunch of different pers- places. If you're normal, go to the version Bible app and you'll see the Bible verses there. So um, as we talk about being known, I want you to flip your Bible over just a couple pages to your left to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This text is often used as evidence for how we should leave one another alone. We shouldn't point out each other's flaws. You, you, you pair this with 
the woman caught in adultery brought, brought to Jesus, and he says, uh, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. And so a lot of people will use this and that and say, that means don't ever talk to anybody about their life. Leave me alone is really what it's getting at. So I have a simple, I'm a simple person. I got a plank in my eye. I cannot point out anything in yours. And this teaching is primarily about the hypocrisy of going to someone when you probably are a bigger sinner about X, Y, Z, right? But I want you to notice that this, this text ends with Jesus saying, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. His entire point is not that you ignore other people. Not that you, he, he doesn't want you to come hypocritically at other people. But you do have some responsibility over the speck in your brother's eye. And your brother has some responsibility for the speck that is in your eye to help you remove it from your eye. Have you ever gotten something stuck in your eye? Jared, he and I have done this before where there's something stuck in his eye. And he's like, hey man, like, can you, can you look in my eye and see if there's something in there? And you got to get up close to someone's eye to see a speck in their eye. You got to get up really close and personal and be like, I don't, I don't know, dude. I see like blood veins and that's gross, but I don't know. I don't see, even if I saw something, what do I, I touch it? Like, ew. Um, but asking someone to come up and look and see if there's something in your eye is being known in a way that you're rarely known by someone. Because like, you can smell each other's breath. You can see the pores in my, on my nose. Like it's, it's gross. It's weird. In our, in our social media world, like we just want to present to people what we want them to know about us. Um, I actually just this past week shared an amazing highlight, Sports Center top ten of me hitting a home run in our softball league. It's awesome. It's amazing. You should go watch it. You'll be blessed by it. I did not show you. I did not even cut a clip of me being terrified to death of someone hitting a ball so hard at third base that I nearly wet myself. I didn't show you that. I just want you to know. Hey, I'm fast. And I do crazy things on a softball field that people don't expect and stuff. I want you to know that about me. I don't want you to know that inside I'm terrified. But when Jesus redefines discipleship as family, we gain a level of intimacy where we cannot just be selective on what you get to see or hear about me. And when you invite the opportunity to be known, you invite an opportunity to be exposed. And that, that can sound like a really scary thing, but often exposure is the only pathway to healing. Y- yesterday, actually, my son, uh, we, we were at his grandparents' house on the swing, and he's getting more and more brave about jumping out of the swing, right? And this time, he jumped a little too high. And he got a little terrified in the air, and he started flailing, and he landed awkwardly. And so he's crying. I'm always like, I'm not an EMT, I'm not a doctor, how do I know if it's broken? Unless like there's bones sticking out, like I'm always, anytime he gets hurt, I'm like, I don't know, is it broken? Is it broken? So we take him inside, we get him calmed down, but then almost every time we move it, he starts crying really, really bad to the point after about 30 minutes, I'm like, all right, we got to go to the ER and get this checked out. And turns out he did, he broke his, he broke his arm. Um, when we're at the ER and he's able to just hold it like this, he, he was, he was okay holding it tight. But in order for us to get a good x-ray, he had to hold his arm out like this. If you can imagine, your arm is broken right here. And like doing that twist right there, 
It was so excruciating. His eyes were filled with more water than my bottle of water. Like, he was in so much pain. But that was the only way they could get a picture inside his arm to see, yes, it is broken. So now we can put a cast on it. And as soon as we put a cast on it, he's a brand new kid. He's feeling fine. He's happy. He's smiling. Um, some people have seen a picture of him sitting there with a, it's actually a splint right now, but like, and he's like, oh, no, he looks fine. He's smiling. Like, yeah, because the pain has been taken care of. But let me tell you, it hurt when it was laid open. But just as being known exposes you, it also is an opportunity to heal you like nothing else can. I, I have a, a trio, I guess I'm a part of a trio of friends in Kansas City. We, we've been really, really close friends for nearly a decade now, and we know each other really well, really, really well. One of those friends whose name is also Chris, uh, so we pretty much just call each other our last name. I can be talking with him, be venting about something, be complaining about another person, and he knows me so well, he can like turn that on me. And it's not an attack on me, because I know that he loves me, and he wants what's best for me. So when I'm talking about something, or I'm talking about someone, he can ask me like, Basically, like, yeah, but are you seeing things clearly in this situation? So he can expose me, but he also has been the greatest encourager in my entire life. And nobody told him to do this. We would be at breakfast, and I, I'm the type that I beat myself up all the time. I never think that I'm worthy of whatever it is that I, that I really fit in, wherever it is. And he is the most encouraging, truthfully encouraging person to my soul. And that's because we have been known by each other. Now, you can't be known intimately by all nearly 200 people in this room. Certainly, you can't be known by the like 400 to 500 people who make their way through the doors here every single week. But you can be known by a, by a smaller group of people within the church. And that's why we're focused on DNAs this summer and this whole year. And it's kind of fitting that we, we were in a, a group a few weeks ago, and uh, the question was asked, like, hey, if you could describe your DNA in one word, how would you describe it? And most people in the room don't have another person in their DNA in the room, but I happen to have a, a brother uh, in my DNA in the room, and we're both listening. There's a lot of really good words, like vital, lifeline, family, like there's a lot of good words coming out. Some negative words coming out, like frustrating, uh, difficult, stuff like that, but me and the guy that's in my DNA in the same room together, both at the almost exact same time said brotherhood. We feel like brothers because we've been open with one another, we've been exposed to one another, and we've received healing through one another. Missional communities and DNAs are the context where you can be known for your good, but for your bad and your ugly too. Where you can know other people's good, bad, and ugly too. Where you can see the speck in your brother's eye and you can have the intimacy to get up close and personal to help him remove it. Where you're known so well by your sister that she can see the speck in your eye and get in your face and help you remove it. Where hopefully you can find brotherhood and sisterhood. But here's the thing, you can only be known to the level at which you reveal yourselves others to others intimately. And that directly contributes to the level of which you're able to be loved. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be at verse 7. 
1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Love one another. Be loved by one another. This is the primary command of Jesus to his disciples. And it's the primary way that we're even able to identify as a disciple of Jesus that I have a growing love for his church. I have to admit that at times I'm not a difficult person. I'm not an easy person to love. I am a difficult person to love at times. And that's because of my own sin, but also because of my own discomfort for receiving love at times. Psychologists actually back this up, and they, I read this one article that gave three reasons for why we actually even just struggle to receive love from other people. One is that oftentimes when we're receiving love from someone, it feels disingenuous. It doesn't feel real. The thing that I long from other people and I finally receive it, I'm suspicious of its authenticity. I fear being hurt. And in an effort to protect myself, I don't even want to receive your love because if I receive your love, I'm opening myself up to the opportunity to be hurt. I'm skeptical of your faithfulness. I mean, you might love things that I do, but do you love me? The second one is we feel we don't deserve it. Some of us are completely blind to our flaws and our shortcomings and believe that we deserve all of the love. But many of us, see nothing but flaw and failure when we look at ourselves. And so when we look at ourselves, we don't even love ourselves. So how could you love me? I've messed up too much to receive love from you. And third, we feel like we'll owe you something now. We don't want to be indebted to someone else, so if we have an armadillo shell around us, you can't give us something that we don't want to return back to you. But Jesus calls us, to love one another, which implicitly is a calling for you to receive love from one another. And our hope is that in a missional community, you can feel loved. Love is not people around you just tickling your ears with false encouragements that that make you the center of everyone's attention. That's not what we're talking about in love. Love is not someone enabling you to sin just because they're loving you. But as a family, we truly love one another. Love is often hard words with one another. I love my son. I got to discipline him every single day, I think. Love may be warnings for one another. Love may be pursuing conflict resolution. Because every family, no matter how healthy your family is, every family has conflict. On the 4th of July, we were shooting off some fireworks at a, a family member's house. And uh, someone shot off one of the big, exploding, like, pretty ones, right? Um, And my three-year-old, as soon as it shot off, took off running towards the launch zone. I think that's because earlier uh, some people had shot off some smoke bombs with the colors, and they were like, you can run through that. 
And so he's three years old. He doesn't understand. And so when they shot off the other thing, he's like, smoke bomb, and he took off running. I knew it was a one shot. Like once it's gone, it's gone. Okay, he ran. Let's just corral him and get him back. But some other people in our family, my wife included, did not know that was a one shot thing and was terrified because it was a big boom that it was going to be a multi-shot thing. And our three-year-old's running straight at an explosion. And so a bunch of people start yelling at him. My wife gets a little hysterical, if we're being real, and screams at him to stop running. Don't run at the danger. And in turn, he started crying and eventually went to a corner and wet himself. So here's the thing. We need to warn each other about running in danger, but maybe also do it a little more calm and so we don't pee in a corner <laughs> the phrase uh one another love one another like just one another this phrase is used 50 times in the new testament alone it's either love one another or an example of exactly how we do love one another now i'm not a greek scholar i'm not adam breckenridge i took greek and i know enough to be dangerous and humorous really um all i ever remember are the words that to me are funny so uh, I had a graphic, it didn't work on getting out here, but the Greek word for w- one another is spelled, is pronounced alelon, which I think is funny. If you don't hear me saying all alone, like alelon is one another. It just feels funny and oh, whatever. Okay, you guys don't, you guys aren't into linguistics, I guess. Okay, uh, <laughs> so much of our life we try to do all alone. We don't want help. We're a three-year-old who says, let me do it. I want to do it. But in this family of God, we don't have to do stuff all alone. We want to walk with Jesus all alone. And Jesus says, that's not the way. The way is with a family. When you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, you enter into a personal relationship with his church. When I married my wife, I married up. And I married into a less dysfunctional family. (laughs) Like, I now have a functional family, and it's a blessing. It's awesome. When we learn that God knows how our lives are worked best and begin to walk with Jesus together with one another, we realize a love that cannot be compared to. So encourage one another. Greet one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Be devoted to one another. Pray for one another. Outdo one another in showing honor to one another. These are all ways that you're called to love one another. And in a, in a missional community, we're trying to create a context where this large church becomes small enough where you're known, and by being known, you can finally be loved. Tim Keller says, To be loved and not known is comforting, but su- superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well A lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Being known and being loved is what it means to belong. We oftentimes, as Keller says, settle for being loved but not really being known. Another pastor, I can't think of his first name right now, Crouch. What's his first name? Andy Crouch? That's it. Andy Crouch. Uh, He says, being loved but not known is fitting in. 
And that's what we often settle for. It's superficial. We can laugh. We can smile. But we walk away knowing that nobody really knows the real me. Because we fear being known and not being loved. That is so terrifying to be rejected that way. And some of us don't even want to fit in out of fear that we'll still be rejected. We won't be known or loved. We'll just be ignored. The culture that we trust God is creating in our missional communities, imperfectly, very much imperfectly, is a place where you can be known and be loved and finally belong. So, if you turn one more time with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse, what, what verse is it? Verse 15. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Paul says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Jump down to verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ. And, And that's plural, by the way. If this was a a southern Bible, it would say, now y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. This is a metaphor to emphasize that as a part of this newly inaugurated family, whose bond runs deeper than just biological blood, you belong. You belong. You have no right to tell one another that I don't belong here. You have no right to tell another person they don't belong here. Nobody has a right to tell you you don't belong here. Some of you wish that some other people didn't belong, if we're being real, if we're being fleshly. But that's why we're all in need of a gracious Savior in Jesus rather than being that Savior yourself. Because He went after all the ones on the fringes who didn't belong. So the ones who didn't fit in. To the outcast. He went after everyone he wanted. So if he went after you, he wants you. And if you feel like, I mean, that's great, Pastor. Everybody belongs. But you don't know me. I'm just, I'm too different. Hear what Scott McKnight says. He says, the church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, Peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. You're different? It's perfect. It's exactly the kind of church God is putting in place. Earlier in that 1 Corinthians passage, Paul says that we form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. There can't be much difference than a slave or a free man who owns slaves. 
Not much different, or there can't be more difference than a, a Jew and a Gentile in that world. They didn't even eat together, but God has put them together to be in the same family. So we're one family, one body. Whether you here are a Republican or a Democrat, whether you're a charismatic or not, whether you're black or white or brown, American or not even American, you belong in the family of God. Earlier, uh, uh, an early church father, his name is Justin Martyr, he went on further. He said, we who formerly hated and murdered one another. That's pretty strong language. And that's not like playful language. Like literally people would murder, not, whatever. We now live together. We share the same table. And now we pray for our enemies and try to win those who hate us. If people groups who hated and literally were murdering one another can be reconciled by the blood of Jesus, you can belong. God makes a habit of choosing the unlikely to be family. And I love that Luke pointed out in our passage last week that when, he, when Jesus was choosing his apostles, he said he called to him those he wanted. He wants you. He doesn't, he's not just putting up with you. It's not reluctance that God will allow you to be in the church family. You didn't slip in through the cracks. He wants you. So who are you? Who am I to say I don't belong? In John 15, Jesus calls us to abide in Him. Belong in Him. Stay close to Him. He's called you. Christian, He has declared you that you can belong with Him. And so our missional communities are family. And Jesus redefines family as those who do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is for you to confess Christ as your Lord and believe in Him. And if that's you today, you are family. And if you're not in a missional community, you need to be because we were created to belong in this family. Where you can be uniquely known and loved and belong. And so I know we don't do this perfectly. I know we don't even get people into groups perfectly. And it would be amazing if we didn't have to have a formal structure and we were just family together. But I urge you to make the effort to belong in a missional community. My missional community is the Next Steps missional community. And so we host monthly a gathering where you can just come try one out. Get to know what it, what it even feel like to go into someone else's home and eat a meal with kids running wild. And so... Our next next steps, our next next steps meal uh, is next Sunday night at 4.30. So out at the um, next steps table, there's a little card that you can grab that's got my address on it. 4.30, just come make yourself at home. We'll have food for you ready. Uh, once you get in a group, you contribute. But as a guest in my next steps group, you come and just be a part of our family with us. It takes a lot of time. To move from a guest, from an attender, from a consumer to belonging. A lot of time, a lot of intentionality, a lot of commitment, vulnerability, awareness of your own expectations, an acceptance of where reality can't meet your expectations, and acceptance that Jesus' way truly is better than your way. So drop the excuses today. Take down the walls that are protecting you. You may be in a missional community and you still got walls up. Drop your walls today. Step out in faith to test God 
and see if he might have healing power of belonging for you. Jesus doesn't say greet yourself, encourage yourself, build up yourself, submit to yourself, forgive yourself. Though you do need to forgive yourself, probably. He doesn't say don't slander yourself. He says love one another. This is the only way that you can belong. And it starts with being known and being loved. So put yourself in the context where you can be known, where you can be loved, and then you can be long. Here's a super short commercial for a new resource. Perfect timing on it being done. We've had some people ask for like just a general card. Be like, hey, I want to invite somebody to church, but like, I don't know the address and I, don't, I want to have something I can give them. And so we made these little cards that you can give to people. And they're out on the Next Steps table. It's got like our service times and our address. It's just like a, there it is. And you can invite somebody. Invite them into your home. Invite them into your life first. But like, if you want to invite them to our gathering, here you go. Here's a resource for you. And the words that we chose to put on the front of these is you can, well, you belong here. You can belong here. You belong here. So grab these and you can hand them out. This is not an easy process and it will disappoint you. But we're practicing for an eternity of perfection that God is giving us. One day, one day all things will be made new. This family, this imperfect family will be made new. But right now we just have a shadow of what's to come. And let me tell you, even the shadow is pretty great. I want to read one more quote as our band comes forward. And we'll take, we'll sing some songs and take communion together. But Sky Jathani wrote this book called What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church? And in it, it says, A church that embraces the value of being a spiritual family more than anything else is equipped to meet this generation's relational and spiritual thirst. We're called to be an incarnate community in a world of digital avatars, a household of healing amid a culture of division and anger, a surrogate family where a generation of spiritual orphans can find the love of Christian family, which ultimately points to the love of God himself. It's impossible for you to follow Jesus alone. And it's destructive if you try. So here at the crossing, we practice the way of Jesus together, or we believe that we're not even practicing the way of Jesus at all. So we call you to be a part of that. And some of you, that means that you need to find your place in this family. For some of you that are in the family, it means you need to start contributing to your family. For some of you, this means your MC might be family in a biological kind of way. But honestly, you're not really practicing the way of Jesus together. You aren't revealing your true self to be known. You're just a friend group fitting in together. So I challenge you to lead with authenticity. If other people in your group aren't leading with authenticity, you lead with authenticity in your missional community. Lead with your weakness. Lead with a passion for God who adopts you as sons and daughters. We don't need just another friend group. We need a family of disciples together. Psalm 139 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. In Jesus, you are more known than you would ever reveal to somebody else. But you're also more loved than you would dare fathom. And so if you are here and you're not a Christian, I want you to just Imagine what it might be like to step into that love of being known, being loved, and belonging. Let's pray. 
Jesus, ultimately, um, we believe that you reveal yourself to us. I can't say enough words that make someone believe something about you that will change their lives. And so, Father, will you work by the power of your Spirit to make us long for your love? Will you make us a family together who loves one another and all of our flaws?